Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week I'm bringing you these great conversations with toy industry insiders and veterans, and it is my honor today to bring you Brian Sturdivant. Let me introduce you to Brian. Brian lives in the great town of Nashville, Tennessee. He has been part of the Primetime Toys sales and marketing team since 2005 and has been the team's creative director since 2012. Throughout this time, he was part of the group to introduce the number one rated water blaster in the U.S. market, the Max Liquidator. Around 2009, Primetime Toys took their ability to blast water and started blasting darts and foam projectiles. The Dart Zone brand debuted, and they have been steadily focused on building product that is innovative, fun, and gives great value. Primetime Toys just launched its first online exclusive series, the Dart Zone Pro, and we're going to talk all about it. Brian is an old friend, and I am so happy to have him on the show today to discuss all things innovation, speed to market, and a little bit of toy bashing all along the way. Brian, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Phil. And toy bashing is a, I'll give you the credit for introducing me to that term (laughs) years ago. So I still think it applies to today. So that's right. A, a quick way to get to a prototype to prove a concept, take existing product, whether in the toy aisle or not, and put it all together, put it in a great package. And you've suddenly got something to present, something to put in front of a buyer, uh, something we love to do around here. And uh, yeah, Brian, I've known you for so long. It's uh, it, This is a great time just to have you on the line. And it occurs to me, uh, some of these questions that we're going to talk about, I've never asked you. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. I'm going to learn something new today. Okay. All right. I'm open. <laughs> Sounds good. Brian, I do know the answer to this first one, but my listeners don't, and they are eager to hear. How did you come to be involved in the toy and game industry? What is your origin story? Well, my origin story um, is I did not plan to, uh, did not set out when I was uh, much younger uh, to be in the toy industry. But I met a gentleman named by uh, Sam Harwell, and uh, he was uh, lived in Nashville, Tennessee. He had a toy company, and I was looking for a job uh, as a summer intern. So I took an opportunity at the company that was called uh, Big Time Toys, uh, and I started out uh, learning the industry through uh, doing TV, toy market tests, and such, and then. When I graduated college, I worked full time for big time for about uh, three years and then left in 2005. And I've been working since then with uh, Primetime Toys. So we um, so my so my orange door is pretty simple. It was just I, I, I caught a bug. I felt like it's something that uh, came, came naturally to me. And it, ever since then, it's just been a passion. So it's like somebody told me uh, early on, I said, if you can find something that you're passionate about, 
then it's not really work. And it's become something that I, I do believe. And I do think that kind of pays the shows and pays off in the work that you're involved in. So. Absolutely. Now, now, when you were studying at Vanderbilt, did you have an inkling that you were interested in the toy industry? Were toys kind of a part of your life growing up? What was your thought about the toy industry kind of on the outside looking in at that time? Well, I, like we've chatted before. I kind of I am I am consider myself like an old millennial. So I did grow up as a uh, Toys R Us kid. And I remember going to Toys R Us and looking for uh, new GI Joes and the like. But I was not necessarily a traditional like uh, toy collector or somebody that held on to their toys for a long period of time. But I did actively play with my toys, and it was a lot. And for when it came, so when it came back around to start doing, you know, marketing for for toys to the kids when I was uh, in my early twenties, uh, I still felt like I was a very much a kid at heart, and it just you just think about what your end user is going to be wanting to do with the product. And if you can keep yourself focused on that, uh, it's not, you know, not too hard, you know, product is king and uh, keep it simple, stupid. Nice. Nice. Two, two great pieces of advice right there. <laughs> product is king. I, I love it. Um, tell us about your experience at primetime. Primetime toys has several staple brands in the seasonal aisle great dart zone uh, brand in the blaster aisle. Tell us about your experience with primetime. What makes you guys so unique? Well, I think that we're very um, uh, diligent in making sure that we, when we bring a product to market, we check off all the boxes so that, um, and we are, um, we're happy to go steady and slow and and maybe in to some of our competitors, but we, when we set out on the vision, we will usually stay focused in, in, in as long as we see positive growth in a particular category, particular additional um, items in the market, we, uh, we make sure that, 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 that they work. You don't necessarily try to chase volume. You just make sure that the item you make is priced right and sustainable. And if you do that, you don't, you don't, you don't feel like you have to you know, take bigger risk than uh, your in the market that recommends so that's right we, we were talking earlier i said it feels like you guys make great decisions slowly and what a wonderful way to grow brands to grow a company um, and really build a solid foundation rather than kind of chase every potential trend that comes along um, it's it's a really good way to run a business well, we admire, I mean, I think it's when we admire that, that, that chasing that kind of new trend is, a, there is a need for that. Uh, and I think that certain companies and um, certain peers that I know that they're much, they're much more inclined to do that. So I, you know, it is, it is also recognizing who you are and what your capabilities are. And you just kind of don't worry too much about keeping up with the Joneses and you just focus on yourself. That's right. That's right. We we both have kind of unique backgrounds in the swim summer seasonal aisle. Uh, and I'll ask you so you can talk to our listeners. To you, what are the key elements to consider when you are developing a great summer product? We talked a little bit about the unique buyer of seasonal products and how they don't really think too much or too deeply about the product that they buy. A lot of times they are on their way to the pool and they're just filling their basket with things to take to the pool. Tell us about developing great seasonal product. 
Well, I think that um, we've been very fortunate to have some product categories like splash bombs, which were the uh, which were introduced in 1994, um, the summer of 94, and they are uh, basically foam sponges with colorful fabric. So they had so they were identifiable as you know uh, something that was trendy, colorful. And it just brought something else that, to the market than just a water balloon at the time, which was you had to fill. You just soak it up and throw it. It's, you know, we say soak it, throw it, splash it. So, you know, we had we had that introduction kind of brought uh, primetime into the uh, spring summer category in pool toys. And then over time, you know, those those, you know, those those items evolve into other play sets and the like. But. After that item, you know, we it led us to the you know the the big item that you mentioned in the introduction, the mash liquidator, which was yeah. a patented concept that has um, basically turned into an evergreen in the uh, water blaster category. So, it, if people who are not familiar with it, it's a foam noodle that has a plunger-like water blaster in inside. So. It looks like a fun noodle, and I know you have a connection going back into your, you know, some of your kid power days with that item. But it also is a combination of something that delivers a, a, a water blasting toy that's a lot more fun and adventurous. So sometimes it's just taking those, taking something that's a little bit novel, and adding it to a classic concept. And then for around that, we've just been able to supplement and fill in the the. The obvious trends that people want to be able to swim and dive after stuff. They also want to be able to see things do differently. That things light up is always a good positive trend in the pool toys. And then you just got to figure out how to take different materials and put them into the right formats uh, so that it's not just the same um, plastic part. It's you know, something that's new and novel, and you uh, that's you know that that pays off over time. So like I said, we take ourselves. We do it over, uh, we grow slowly. So we you know when we get a new item placed in, it's, it's very often turns into an evergreen and it's there for 10 plus years. Which is really a phenomenal track record for prime time. You guys do have a, a tremendous track record of taking an item and growing it and, and, and making that an evergreen item that shows up time and time again. Along those lines, let's talk about Max Liquidator. Tell us the origin of, of Max Liquidator and at what point did you know that you guys had a hit? I know when that was first released, um, it, it was something that maybe we underestimated and, and didn't think was going to have the staying power that, wow, it ended up having. Uh, tell us about the origin of Max Liquidator and, and when did you know that it was a hit? Its origin predates 2005 when I started working with uh, Primetime Toys officially, and it had I would say it had a lot of legs at the time that I was not necessarily aware of because it was in a, it was a truly, there was a healthy specialty market at that time in, in, in the toy industry. There was still mom and pop stores or smaller chain stores that were not feeling the pressure of e-commerce and they were able to be the testing ground. And the original Max Liquidator, which is like a 24 inch long uh, noodle uh, water blaster, you know, I think it had even carried like a, a fourteen ninety nine or a $20 retail. In those days, that's, you know, even today, you got a $20 item at retail that does a high volume, you got a hit. That's right. Um, so we just basically got opportunities to make that presentation to uh, new buyers that were, 
in some new positions and you know we got lucky and we were at the right time we had the right product at the right time and i think that sometimes that's really what it is it's basically you do all the hard work get everything ready to go and when the when the coach or the buyer tells you it's your time to play execute <laughs> <laughs> right and uh, right. and that's what we and that's what we were fortunate enough so that those items came in they were very successful and when you're a company that at the time I think we we didn't have any major mass market distribution distribution on pulse uh, summer business and over time we had been um, developing you know where we we share a lot of the space with one or two suppliers uh, and that's just credit to staying focused. But you got to have the right item to basically be like the tide to rise and help all boats. You know, that's right. Be, be ready. Do the due diligence of uh, of creating the right product. And and uh, and some, sometimes the timing just works beautifully. And uh, it's it's a long term hit. So from blasting water to blasting darts, uh, you guys have gained significant ground in the dart blaster aisle with dart zone over the last few years. Strikes me that this consumer is very diligent about what they buy, when they buy, why they buy. There's a lot of introspection that goes into the fans of dart blasters. They test every component. Uh, a lot of these guys, as you mentioned earlier, are gearheads. They like to take it apart, put it back together, make it a, make it a little different than it was. Um, tell us about Dart Zone and your experience growing that brand. Well, Dart Zone um, is, has evolved from a similar process to Max Liquidator, which was we developed one or two items. And at that time, going back to early 2010, 2011, Toys R Us uh, was still developing product for them under uh, a private uh, a private brand called Airzone. And but based on our strength and success and, and um, pool toys, they thought that they had, you know, simply that somebody asked us to make something. We said, yes, we can make it. We'll figure it out. And we put our, and we put together two items. One was called the Punisher, which was a super duper motorized Gatling blaster. Mm -hmm, that's right. That thing was a tremendous hit. And then after that, we did another item called the Power Strike 48, which are still kind of two cult classics for the people that are in the, uh, the uh, hobbyist community of dark blasters. So we basically had, had a, uh, an opening into that category. And then that motivated us to do other products uh, when the opportunity came out. And, um, we developed one item in particular under Dart Zone that it was called the Scorpion Gatling Blaster, which was a small was a miniaturized version of the Punisher, and that we placed that at uh, at Walmart for like a twenty dollar uh, retail, and really the rest is history. The item just was tremendously successful, and we just continued to uh, go from there. And then as retail changes and as Nerf. And other competitors came and evolved or, you know, some people were having high periods and they fell off. You know, we just made sure that we were still in the game. And uh, over time, we, we have proven that Dart Zone is basically has two mottos for the consumer, which is you want quality and performance that's on par with anything that you would get from uh, a national brand, but you don't have to 
who spent a lot of money. And we even go as far as saying we're blasting on a budget. So, you know, we, we make sure that the consumer gets a lot for their money. And that's that. And that's that's been our calling card. And our fans have uh, gone as far as recognizing our darts as the operated go to dart for uh, their their battles. Um, so we we sell even we sell now 200 darts uh, at nine ninety nine. And they are the ones that people just go to, but the most reliable and the best value. And so product, I said, product matters. And we, you know, we don't waver from that. We don't spend a lot of money on advertising. We stay focused on putting the, the value into the, the product. And uh, when, when, we, when we can uh, step out and do something different and we think there's a room for it, like in Cartzone Pro, which we debuted uh, mid-July this year, it's an exclusive pro series blaster that uh, is only available on dartzoneblasters.com. We did a limited edition collector's edition. It's kind of our love letter to our uh, to the people in the, in the community that have been always supporting us, but we never, you know, have built something that kind of meets all their um, modification desires right out of the box. So, you know, we're going to shoot. What we show in our video. We shoot. Uh, about a uh, four foot radius target, 150 feet away, and do that reliably. <laughs> people, that moves the needle. That makes people feel excited. That's right. No, it, it is exciting, and it, what what a launch this is going to be. Uh, that video where you just keep backing up, backing up 150 feet, and then nail this target. Uh, that's one shot, by the way. Yes. So that's. Uh, I, I have. I have <laughs> people. People comment all the time. All oh, that has to be. Some editing trick. No, I was in the room. Nope. And one and done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and fully customizable. And so what I'm hearing is that the entire impetus for the Dart Zone Pro is really relegated on your fan base and having listened to your fan base and giving them something that they can have, that they can they can love, take care of, customize and have this amazing blaster. And I think that's just testament to primetime success. That they are keen on listening to their customer. It's something that comes up time and again on this show, and it's easy to lose sight of, but this kind of product rollout is a perfect example of listening and activating based on your customer, which I, I really love. Well, I think, and I hope, and I hope that pays off in the long run with uh, some brand loyalty and also support so that we can continue to do that. I mean, this, there's no doubt that, you know, a small limited edition blaster is not something that is in with everybody's wheelhouse um, to do so because it's because dart blasters have a high tooling cost and there's a lot of other things, engineering time development, all go into that. But we did see a unique opportunity where we could do something that we knew that we knew that we could make this blaster. We knew that we could pre deliver this performance. We can knew that we could deliver it in a timely manner, and we were at the right time to do so. So we wanted to uh, make sure that we were first to market and got and got that credibility for expanding the expectations of what people will expect from an art blaster. That's right. And one of the things you guys are excellent at is really leveraging social media, videos, Twitter to both of your your customer bases, which is on one hand is this 
pool category buyer that's not terribly discerning about what they what they buy. They just want something that's fun, that pops out to them or that is trusted, uh, something they bought last summer. So they're going to buy it again and they love it versus this discerning customer that really dives deep into the way that the blasters are constructed and exactly how they perform. As you have leveraged social media to both of those customer bases, what are the differences? How do you have to treat those two markets differently to activate your customer to buy your product? I think it comes down to two different things for me. Is number one is their appetite for content, or, or is how much content is necessary for them to be able to make a purchase, and then great customer service on the back end. If they're an engaged consumer, because when you have somebody that's a, it's a we have a whole industry of Yelp reviews and everything. And each time those net, those pot, those reviews come about, it's also just tra- having the right mindset to listen and, re- and, and respond honestly and be honest with people when there is a, a, a comment or a question. That's what we try to do on the back end. But on the front end, what, how much, how much content did they, do they have the appetite for? And sometimes particular categories, like spring summer product, shorter buying windows, different things like that may not justify putting as much content out there. And uh, but the art some category does have a tremendous appetite for content. Um, they want to know when the new blasters are releasing. They want to know what the, all the, the the specs of it are going to be. And and if you do not have answers or you do not are prepared for those that level of engagement. You're not going to leave somebody with a, with a positive customer experience. That's right. No, great, great answer. And it's not just Max Liquidator and Dart Zone. There's Sharkpedo, there's Splash Bombs, Tidal Storm, uh, the Wet n Wild line that is Target exclusive. Tell us a little bit about those brands. We have, um, you know, sometimes sometimes things get introduced uh, to a particular supply, uh, retailer as a first year exclusive. And over time, those things, you know, are not uh, etched in stone. So, you know, for example, like I said, that we all all the categories you listed off there are basically ver- are variations of classic products. Uh, wet and wild sprinklers are sprinklers, and we're just trying to develop a new uh, sprinkler product line that delivers the same classic play pattern, but with a little more quality and a little more pizzazz. We have. Um, Shark Pedo, which is one of the items that I'm probably most proud of developing, which was, which was an inspiration back in the day, was, well, we all we all want to throw something like above the water, but how can you know how big can we throw something or have something glide underneath the water? And why don't why not make it look like a gigantic shark, you know? For a kid <laughs> and I myself was the toy as the uh, was the toy tester guy into my my neighbor's pool. And was making sure that we, these designs that we were coming up with were going to be provable. So <laughs> that item is isn't, great. Isn't that it. just the hardest part of our job? It is not, you know what? I, am, I was I would say that everybody has everybody thinks about their jobs like it's not glamorous. But then when I do, have to talk about having to get into a pool to test something and report <laughs> back on it. I I do want I do feel like I need to shoot myself uh in in in, in joking jokingly because uh you know it is it is we're still playing with toys, you know. 
That's it. That's it. So good. So what are you excited about for the future of primetime toys? Anything coming down the pipe that you can talk about? I think I I think the honest thing is, is we are um, we're we have an appetite for for anything new. And I think about it of it is is it if we if we if we stay focused on our two main product lines, Pool Summer and and, and, and Dark Blaster for Dark Zone, I feel like we'll um, we're doing enough there to maintain um, uh, market leadership, market share, and be uh, a uh, fair and honorable competitor to uh, our other companies. But I think it's just like what this point is: you're always looking for that new, exciting category. And I think that we, you know, primetime toys, uh, not many people know what we are, are, have been involved in the last 15 years. And I think like your invitation today is a great opportunity for me just to kind of share our interest to work with other parties. If somebody's got a good concept or got something new and they want a new eyes to be brought to it, you know, we're open. We're, we would love to hear from people. So it's just making sure that people know um, that we, if we have an item, you have a concept. We'll make sure that we uh, we make it a baby and we'll grow it and see it go off to college one day and, and <laughs> in the toy industry way uh, when it's uh, maybe in the uh, uh, winning a, uh, a TIA award, you know, so we'll never know. But you know what? If you don't if you don't ask or talk or we don't hear about it, we may not get a chance to uh, nurture it for you. So. That is exactly right. Uh, Brian, such a good time talking to you. Uh, really, really, really a blast. So tell us, how can people reach out to you, connect with you, keep up with Primetime Toys? I think the easiest way to connect with me, if, uh, if you wanted to, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn. You can look, search me up, search me. Um, shows I'm the creative director for Primetime Toys. And if you want to follow us or learn more about us, you can definitely go to uh, primetimetoys.com. You can find out more about our brands and then uh, reach out to us at customer care at primetimetoys.com. And we'll be happy to uh, connect you and uh, with me if, uh, if uh, there's an opportunity. So, Fantastic. Brian, it's been such a pleasure. It's time to get back in the pool. Let's, go, uh, let's, go, play, let's go play a little more. <laughs> let's do it. A lot of fun, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.